0: Welcome to How My Country Works, with your host, Stephen O'Shea. Next up, in Central Africa, with the capital Injamena, a population of 17.1 million and functioning as a presidential democracy, is Chad. On the 20th of April 2021, it was announced by the country's armed forces that the leader of Chad for more than 30 years, Idris Deby, had been killed by rebels in the countryside. Despite masquerading as a democracy, the death of the president did not lead to new elections or a vice president taking charge. But instead, another military leader was put in command, and one with a very familiar name. Idris Deby's 37-year-old son, Mohamed Deby, is now set to lead the African nation into the foreseeable future. In order to dive a little bit deeper into this and the historical and political climate of Chad, I'm joined on the show by Nathaniel Powell who is an analyst at Oxford Analytica and a published author on Chad. Nathaniel, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're most welcome. Well, we might just dive straight in, and it would be great if you could tell us a bit about Chad before the French colonized it.
1: Sure. So the area that we now call Chad was obviously not called Chad before the French invaded it. Uh, the lake was called Lake Chad, and and that's where the country gets its name. But that's only in one corner of the country. So the area that is now Chad actually comprised kind of three major uh, uh, states. One was the, the Sultanate of Wadai in eastern Chad. Another one was the Sultanate of Bagirmi in uh, southeastern, well, sorry, southwestern Chad. Uh, and then you have Borno, which is actually kind of in Nigeria, but had um, a lot of influence. In uh, in parts of, of what we now call Chad, and these states have been in existence for a long time. Uh, they Borno and Kanem Borno date back to the uh, first millennium. Uh, Wadai dates back to fifteenth or sixteenth centuries, uh, and Bagirmi has a, a similarly old. I mean, these states go back a long time.
0: Yeah, that's such a long time. So that's that's in the area that we kind of
1: call. Well, it's generally referred to as northern Chad, even though that also includes central Chad. Uh, in southern Chad, which is different in a lot of respects because of the environment, it's more tropical. It's uh, There's uh, a lot more rainfall, so you have uh, better soil for agriculture and that sort of thing, and more farming. Uh, you didn't really have a lot of strong states. Instead, you had uh, population groups of populations that were later known as the Sara, and they... Were kind of divided into uh groups of villages or small communities and the problem with that was that they weren't particularly well organized to resist you know resist militarily against attacks from the north either by these other states i mentioned or later on uh, by the french
0: yeah of course so when did the french actually start to arrive
1: france began attacking conquering chad in 1900 um, when they were they fought this this battle against this uh, kind of regional warlord who was expanding his own empire into Chad called uh, Rabbi al-Zbiir and uh, they defeated him uh, but in the process started to try to assert their own political control but yeah the the broader point is that Chad has a long long and storied history of uh, very old states that have their own very uh, fascinating and detailed histories that were uh, written about and you can read about and their, uh, the histories of these states are also part of the national mythology or the national kind of narrative of Chad itself. And it's also highly contested because uh, these states not only warred against each other, but also, late, especially in the 19th century, were involved in the slave trade uh, and especially... Uh, in well, in southern chad so this helped to create political divisions and resentments that the french later built upon as they built their colonial apparatus uh trying to playing groups of people off against each other in order to better establish french rule
0: right that's really interesting to appreciate and
1: that's very briefly i think what you could you know a very brief outline of history pre-colonial chad there's a lot more going on uh we could get into if you wanted to go into a lot of detail but that's Uh, I guess the main outlines of it.
0: Yeah, I have no doubt. But I think that was a really great summary. Just coming back to the French conquest, though, how did this come about?
1: So, so it actually took a while. So, the French defeated, as I mentioned, this this kind of warlord. uh, uh, He was sometimes they called him a freebooter, a slaver. He was uh, honestly he generated lots of local resentment and resistance, and that's why the French could uh, could fight him because they're actually some to some extent called in for support by the Sultan of Bagrami to help defend them against this guy. Uh, and she was his campaigns are quite brutal, and part of the living, almost living memory of Southern Chad is, is the extent of the brutality of, of the slave, uh, slaving expeditions that this guy uh, was, um, was mounting. Uh, and this kind of formed something of an ideological justification for the French uh, you know, advance into Chad. And the, the European colonizers in general used anti-slavery as a justification for a lot of what they did. Uh, The problem was then they just resorted to forced labor, which is essentially the same thing uh, when it comes to building their own states. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So the French conquest of Chad actually took quite a long time. So even though they defeated Raz uh, Araba in 1900, uh, it took about 20 years for them to actually establish political, political control over the majority of the territory we now call Chad. And that's because of military resistance by the Sultan of Wadai, which I mentioned before, and also a a very powerful religious brotherhood, a Muslim brotherhood called the the Senusia uh, in northern Chad, based out of Libya. And the French fought some pretty violent battles against them. It took quite a long time to establish a political control. And the borders that we now see on the map uh, are... Not quite as arbitrary as we're often led to believe. I mean, there's this idea that lots of African countries just have arbitrary borders that European powers impose. And that's obviously true to an extent. But uh, in Chad, they generally correspond to rough dividing lines between pre-existing states. So the, divide- the border of eastern Chad more or less follows the border between Wadai uh, and the Sultanate of Darfur in Sudan. Uh and then the borders in eastern Chad oftentimes follow the, the borders of Bagher, the Sultanate of Bagarmi uh and then Kanemborno. And there's also geographical um, barriers that also form the the border, like Lake Chad and the Sherry River, or well, parts of the Sherry River. Uh and but yeah, I mean there there is there is an extent to which France was just draw you know drawing lines in the ground and establishing its its administration.
0: That's actually really interesting because I definitely think there's this perception that these were just random lines on a map. But good to understand that there was at least some method to it. That must still present difficulties, though.
1: The issue is that, of course, you're um, associating lots of different political entities all under one new ruler. And the way of managing that, which the French resorted to, and the French aren't the only ones who've done this. The British did this just as well elsewhere. Uh, And and pretty much any imperial ruler kind of resorts to this method, which is uh, play different groups off against each other and not just play groups off against each other, but also empower some people at the expense of others and therefore create kind of new identities that uh, will benefit imperial rule or colonial rule, but at the same time, create new resentments and new political divisions, which may have uh, political consequences down the line. Uh, and the me- way that France ruled Chad, especially in the South, was was particularly bloody uh, and just maybe doesn't quite compare to what the Belgians did in Congo, but there are... Uh, the extent of forced labor, especially in southern Chad, that they employ not just for projects in Chad itself, but to help build their railway in in Congo Brazzaville, uh, costs thousands of lives. Uh, there's lots of kind of forced conscription to the Chad into the, the French army, uh, as well as lots of uh, porterage, like forced use of of individuals for carrying supplies across long distances, road construction, things like that, and. So, it, what's interesting about the French rule is that the the areas of Chad, which had kind of in the previous century or so been largely subjected to uh, attacks from northern powers like the sultanates of Wadai and, and, and Baghermi and uh, and Borno, were now actually more exploited by the French in a lot of ways. But the flip side of that is that the French also invested in lots of, like they brought in missionaries and that sort of thing, which created schools. And this created opportunities for local uh, locals to get um, the kinds of education that would land them jobs in the French administration and like lower level jobs. And this at the, within the course of several decades created uh, an elite of Southern Chadians that, were fairly well educated along French lines and were therefore kind of integrated into the colonial state and helped manage the colonial state.
0: That's so interesting.
1: Uh, And so despite the fact that Southern Chadians suffered the most, probably in physical terms uh, from the French, French domination, especially in its early years, they actually, the actual elite that ended up ruling Chad after independence also all came from the South because in Northern Chad, the, polities of the states that existed there when france conquered it were kind of strong enough. i mean they weren't strong enough to resist the french military but they were strong enough to kind of resist french efforts at imposing educate their educational system or uh also these are kind of poorer regions so the french weren't as interested in investing in you know uh, infrastructure because there wasn't much to extract so they kind of let these areas they policed these areas with their military units but they didn't do much else so when decolonization happened when independence happened the small and poor and under-resourced chadian state was dominated by southerners uh whereas the northerners which had dominated the territory in the previous century were essentially excluded from power and this forms the basis of the following few decades of chadian mm-hmm. politics this kind of resentment between and, and conflict between northerners and southerners uh, and I'm really oversimplifying things but if <laughs> for the, <laughs> for podcast reasons that's uh, I think that's acceptable
0: <laughs> that is definitely acceptable for this podcast, certainly. That's really fascinating, though, and really speaks to a lot of the conflict and religious animosity that still exists to this day as well. Can you just touch on this a bit more?
1: Yes, certainly. So, the, And partly this religious divide has to do with the process in which this took place. Um, so southern Chad, or, which geographically is actually about the southern third of Chad, but that's what's generally designated as the south, uh, has about half the population. Uh, And they're divided between Christians and and different traditional or or different local religions. Um, And and probably the percentage of Christians is probably higher than it used to be. Um, But figures vary. But between 30 30 and 50 percent of of southern Chadians are probably Christians. Uh, And some are Muslims as well. But northern Chad, which is the northern two-thirds of Chad, geographically speaking, uh, is predominantly Muslim. And uh, but also divided between communities that are uh, agricultural and more settled and communities which are uh, uh, nomadic or, or transhuman. And this, within the North itself, you have a number of kind of underlying conflicts uh, related to resource allocations and, and customary political authorities and things like that, which uh, create a whole nother layer of, of division within the country uh, that goes well beyond just this kind of North-South divide.
0: Yeah, right. How interesting. So with all this going on, how is it that the country achieved independence?
1: Chad was always uh, a relatively, it was a poor part of the empire. The French never invested much in it. And for the French, it was important for strategic reasons. It was important for prestige reasons. But they, at the end of the day, if you look at the kind of accounting books of the colonial regime, they're not making money out of Chad. Uh, They never did, really. Uh, So... The it was never an important, in other words, it was never really an important colony for France. But it was, it was important because it was a colony; it had to be protected and administered, and that sort of thing. But so the process that led to the independence of most of France's African colonies were partly related to the Algerian War, uh, which was taking place in well in Algeria, where France was desperately trying to keep hold of its Algerian colony, which for France was the most important colony. In fact, they didn't even call it a colony; they called it part of France.
0: Yeah, we actually touched on that kind of thinking in our episode on Algeria. How does this uprising affect the rest of France's colonial territories in Africa?
1: They couldn't afford to have a similar uh, level of kind of insurrection or violence in, in the rest of Africa that they controlled. So they were much more responsive to the demands of a growing group of African nationalists to devolve autonomy towards uh, to different African colonies. So by the mid-1950s, uh, or later 1950s, a lot of France's uh, colonial territories in Africa were partially self-governing. Uh, they were linked to France. They were, you know, France was a sovereign power, but they had gained lots of self-government, including Chad. Uh, and Charles de Gaulle came to power in France in, in a coup d'etat in 1958, and he changed the constitution. And in doing so... He tried to change the relationship of France to its African colonies, and it worked to some extent, but it also uh, provided the kind of legal out for these places, for these colonies to declare independence. Uh, and the most extreme example is Guinea, which declared independence. And France treated it absolutely brutally. Uh, they withdrew in uh, massive haste. They stripped down the infrastructure and they tried to overthrow the government for the next you know, five or 10 years. Um, but most of the other countries uh, actually got independence in 1960 as part of a kind of uh, implicit deal with France. Uh, so the deal was, you know, you can be formally independent. You can benefit from the full trappings of sovereignty. You know, you have a seat at the U.N., uh, you know, you control of your foreign policy, at least in theory. But the French, the idea was that the leaders of these countries would remain close to France, would ensure that France could maintain a, a substantial amount of influence in these places, and that France would ultimately uh, you know, have a substantial amount of control uh, in its former former empire. And probably for the first decade after the end of colonialism, so from 1960 to 1970 or so, or even a bit later, France uh, really, if the French presence in, this, in, in most of these countries was no less than it had been under colonialism, sometimes even more in terms of the actual number of French people in these government administrations and armies and intelligence services. Uh, and Chad was no different. Chad was essentially a pure French client state for the first decade of its existence. Um, but what that meant was the actual process to independence was not bloody at all. It was a rather smooth transition.
0: How interesting. We've seen this similar pattern in a few other French African colonies that we've done episodes on. But this withdrawal leads to a massive instability in the country, right? And in a way, paves the way for Idris Deby, who we touched on in the intro.
1: So his story actually originates uh, back in the 60s. And the problem is that, uh, as I mentioned before, we had these major divisions between uh, uh, northern Chad, which felt completely uh, isolated from, from government and state administration, and the southern Chad, whose elites, anyway, were ruling the country. And this generated a series of rebellions in the 1960s, uh, and then French interventions to help try to suppress these rebellions, because the government wasn't capable of doing it themselves. Uh, and eventually, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya became quite involved in trying to add Chad or parts of Chad into his own, either directly into par- annexing it into part of Libya, or into trying to integrate Chad into a sphere of influence. And this led to lots of Libyan military involvement in a number of Chadian rebellions and subsequent French interventions attempting to stop these, well, prevent these rebellions from succeeding or capturing the capital, uh, Jamina. So uh, Idris Debi was uh, one of the military leaders of one of these rebellions led by a guy named Hissin Habre. Uh, and Hissin Habre was a very effective military commander. He was one of the main leaders of these rebellions in the, in the early 70s. And he managed to uh, and, and, well, at first he was opposed to France, but then, because of his very nationalistic opposition to Libya, ended up kind of being France's preferred um, for actor in Chad, uh, especially after it became clear that there was no other coalition of political actors that could control the capital. So after 1982, uh, the French and the Americans uh, uh, were supportive of Hussain Habre, who became probably one of the decade's bloodiest dictators in the continent. Oh wow! There's all there's a whole. I mean, he was he was eventually tried on on uh, crimes against huma- tried for crimes against humanity by a special court in Senegal in 2016 2017 uh, for for his rule of the way he ruled Chad. I think he's the only African leader that's actually been brought to account for their crimes uh, in that way. But he ruled from 1982 to 1990, and his one of his chief military commanders was Idris Debbie, and Debbie was heavily involved in uh, the. Wars that Chad, that Habre's regime and Chad fought against Libya in Northern Chad, Uh, They very successfully fought against Libya. Uh, Some very dramatic battles between the Chadian army and the Libyan army, which the Chadian army won uh, overwhelming victories, but very underdog overwhelming victories. They weren't expected to to be so successful. Um, And... In 1990, uh, Debbie launched a, a kind of – actually, 1989, he tried to launch a coup uh, with, with another one of his uh, generals, and that uh, failed. He had to flee into Sudan. The other general was killed, but Debbie managed to uh, create a, a rebellion in Sudan, in Darfur, uh, which is right on the border with, with Chad. And he then uh, succeeded in developing kind of a guerrilla movement in eastern Chad. And by 1990, December 1990, he managed to sweep into Jaman, the capital, and overthrow uh, his inhabitants. And then he established his own, his own rule. Initially he said that, uh, you know, he was bringing democracy. There's, he has a famous phrase and I'm really paraphrasing it terribly, but he said something like that. His first day of of power, he said something like, I'm not bringing you gold or wealth, but I'll bring you freedom. And, you know, it's like wonderful words, but in the end, he brought, he brought a dictatorship, which was perhaps not as bloody as his in Habre's, uh, but managed to keep control of the country, um, although he faced some very serious rebellions, especially in the 2000s. And, but he also benefited from French support, which played a pretty decisive role in keeping him in power throughout the 2000s and, and 2010s, right up until his very bizarre death, uh, allegedly in battle uh, last year, against another rebellion that
0: was trying to unseat him. What a fascinating actor, and one which has really shaped the last 30 years of Chad. So without this figurehead, what is next for Chad?
1: the regime that replaced him, which is now led by his son. uh, uh, He's ahead of a a transitional government that's supposed to eventually have elections, but you know, it's an open-ended transition and who knows what's going to happen with that. Um, Even, even his regime is is quite strongly supported by the French. Uh, And the, the reason the French reasoning for this is that, you know, better kind of the devil we know and better uh, a regime, which though potentially bloody and, you know, absolutely vicious towards its, uh, It's democratic uh, opposition uh, and also incredibly corrupt. Uh, At least Chad isn't, you know, Northeastern Nigeria or Mali or Central African Republic or Burkina Faso. It's it's there's there's, a relative degree of stability.
0: Yeah, right. And so how is Debbie Jr. doing So far, it looks like he's trying to
1: broaden the base of the regime a bit. Right now, he's engaged in some very delicate negotiations with a broad range of rebel groups in in Doha, actually, in Qatar. And it's unclear where that's going to lead. But uh, he does seem interested in trying to at least project the image of turning a page and trying to get former rebels to come back into the fold, which means essentially doling out uh, resources to another group of, of elites who've made their living through through warfare. Uh, that doesn't bode well for democracy or civil society or anything like that. Uh, whether he manages to maintain a kind of stability at the top uh, in the next you know half decade or decade is you know it's, it's an open question. So far it looks like he's he's managed to kind of pull those strings in, uh, in the right ways. But I wouldn't say this is great for the people of the country. This probably isn't isn't great for Chadians.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you've brought us right up to date, actually. But before we let you go, would you mind just telling us a bit about a festival, holiday or celebration that's unique to Chad? Well, so
1: Chad has lots of cultures. I mean, there's many different ethnic groups and and traditions and, and religions. So... Obviously, at, at the local level, there's lots of uh, of things like that. But at the national level, um, apart from uh, kind of major religious holidays, which are notionally celebrated uh, or at least observed throughout the country, like, uh, like Christmas or, or uh, Eid, there are some – well, there's kind of two – so much, well, one, one day that's not very contested, but is obviously used by, by different governments for, for, you know, for their own purposes, that's independence day, which is August 11th. Uh, I should double check that. I'm pretty sure it's August 11th. <laughs> and, you know, you see like parades in this in, in the Capitol and there'll be uh, long speeches by by local you know, politicians. Um, there'll be uh, events of different kinds. Um, but the kind of contested date is, is Chadi national day which is not the independent celebration but that is uh, as of now uh, December thir- December 1st which is also the date that Idris Déby came to power and he declared this national day uh, for obvious reasons uh, and obviously you have opposition leaders and and, and figures as well as uh, communities in the country which don't haven't felt part of the regime that obviously resist celebrating this as a national day. Uh, It's also not the first time the National Day has been on, uh, has been a bit of contested, uh, at a a, big, uncontested date. In the beginning of Chad's independence era, there was a randomly assigned date of January 11th. And there was no reason for it apart from that this was when the harvest had already been collected and people had some money in their pockets. This is the best time to have some kind of national celebration. But it was a randomly assigned day. But that didn't last very long because there was no, there's no real grounding for it. And uh, subsequent governments have kind of changed that around based on their own kind of political priorities.
0: How interesting. Well, thanks for sharing those. And thanks for your spending time with us today.
1: Cool. Awesome. Well, have a good, we have a whole day ahead of you. Have a good day, Stephen.
0: Thanks. Will do. Well, I think that's the perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guest, Nathaniel Powell. Join us next time where we'll be discussing the South American country of Chile, which despite a brief dictatorship, has had a relatively stable political history. As always, please do write us on the podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at How My country Works for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything else you'd like to know about Chad or any other country. This podcast was produced by Stephen O'Shea and sound editing is by Luke Dimsey. See you next time and remember to keep asking How My Country Works.